Welcome back to Brazil Crypto Report. Today I'm joined by Alessandri Vazarelli, who's the Chief Investment Officer at BLP Crypto. We discussed the new CVM Resolution 175, which greatly reduces the barriers to entry for Brazilian investment funds looking to allocate into Bitcoin and other crypto assets. by Alexandre Vassarelli, who is the CIO at BLP Crypto, which is one of Brazil's oldest crypto funds. Welcome, Alex, to the show. Thank you for having me. Actually, we were the first institutional investor in Brazil. We launched the fund BLP Crypto at in December 17. So we are almost six years old now. Oh, wow. In, uh, a privilege to be here with you. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for coming on. And uh, with that, why don't you introduce yourself quick and then maybe what's the backstory behind uh, how you got into BLP Crypto? Perfect. Uh, I graduated in 93 and I went straight to Banco Garantia and then I, I traded for Credit uh, Suisse, ING, Deutsche, and I was my last job in the financial markets, the traditional financial markets was at, as a treasurer at the local Brazilian bank. And so I have more than 25 years experience in trading. I was always like a prop trader, which is a macro a macro trader, basically doing interest rates and, and currencies. And I was introduced to Bitcoin in 2016 by Alec, by my, my partner, Axel. And Oh, I fell in love with Bitcoin in January 17 when I really had the time to understand. And we launched it. We had the idea to launch the fund in July 17. It took us a while to build the product, which you can imagine to have a crypto fund in 2017 is a, was a little bit ahead of the time. But we were able to launch it December 17. So we 2022 was our second uh crypto winter so it we are kind of used to it now and then can you give us maybe a bit more color on just blp crypto itself and um you know who are what's your what's your kind of investment thesis what are your strategies who are uh maybe some of your uh limited partners or general partners uh in the fund perfect so the funding partners were axel was the first one to to learn about bitcoin Myself and Glauco, who at the time had an asset management company in Brazil, you have to have an asset management company to be able to have a fund. All local funds are under the CVM, which is this similar to SAC. But I think it's similar. But here, I think they follow the products more closely than abroad, because it's uh, the fund industry in Brazil is, is pretty big in terms of GDP and. Uh, most of our investments are done through funds, which is not very normal abroad. So we were the first ones to have the idea, capability, and courage to launch a crypto hedge fund. So we launched a crypto hedge fund under the CVM in late 17, which is kind of unique. Got it, got it. And then... Um... So the purpose of today's conversation is to talk about this uh, CVM resolution 175, which is going to have some pretty dramatic uh, implications on how crypto funds or how just funds in general, investment funds in general can 
treat crypto assets. Uh, but before, before we dive into that specifically, could you maybe give us a bit more color on just what you were saying before about how the, the just the size of the funds, like the fund management industry in Brazil and like just how much AUM are we talking about here? What's the size of this industry uh, in Brazil, maybe vis-a-vis other uh, kind of comparable markets globally? So I think it's around $400 billion, the fund industry in Brazil. And comparing to all the places in terms of GDP is much larger. So why is that? Because in Brazil, we had a, a CPMF tax, which was a tax where we, you would be debited on any transaction unless the transaction was done inside the fund. So basically, uh, the fund industry it grew a lot and remains very large comparing to uh, the other markets. But we are starting to have a lot of uh, fixed income instruments, which was not the case 10 years, 15 years ago. And this is an industry that is growing a lot. So I'll say that now Brazil is in the process of decreasing the fund industry and increasing the direct investments like uh, treasury bonds and things like that. Got it. Got it. But it was basically this 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 sort of tax incentive that yeah. that steered people into into funds versus just investing uh, on a kind of a one off basis. Like I'm just going to go buy some some shares directly. But it's the tax incentives are structured so that it's 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 more profitable to invest through a fund vehicle. Is that that's am I understanding that correctly? That's exactly the case. Inside the fund, you don't have that. You didn't have that tax which for investment purposes is very important. It was like, it, it came out to be 38 basis points on every every transaction. So it, mm. it was like, it was huge. Got it, got it. And then, so diving into how funds can interact uh, with, with crypto assets, um, could you maybe give us some color as to just what the CVM, so the CVM is the Brazilian SEC, Brazilian Securities Regulator for, I guess those maybe not familiar with the the acronyms here. Um, and could you maybe just give us some color on what exactly this uh, resolution does specifically related to crypto assets? And then um, once once we kind of define what what the changes are here, it might be helpful to uh, distinguish like what was the operating environment before? Because I know there's some kind of weird rules around uh, funds could invest in crypto, but it could only be with like an international like exchange or an international brokerage or something like that. And then, you know, what is, what is the landscape kind of moving forward now uh, under this new resolution? So I'll start with how it was, because I think it's easier to understand. So when we launched the fund, there was no specific rule saying anything about crypto. Crypto for the CVM was not, and it's currently continues not to be a financial asset, but what, we had in place was a, a rule that a local fund could invest abroad and depending who was investing on the fund. So in Brazil, we have three main categories. One is professional investor who can do pretty much everything. Then the second one, a professional is someone, someone that holds more than $2 million in, in assets. A qualified investor is so is dollars is that dollars or reais? Well, it's 10, 10 million reais around two million dollars. Okay. Uh, a qualified investor in Brazil is someone that has two hundred thousand dollars invested, which one million reais. I'm, I'm divided by five, just for you guys to know. Right. And the general public, 
the remaining. So basically, the general public could buy a fund that was investing 20% limited ab abroad. A qualified could buy a fund that invests 40% abroad, and the professional could buy a fund that invests 100% abroad in anything. So we used the regulation that was in place, and we launched a fund that for professional investors that would invest 100% of the assets abroad. And with that rule, what we did, like we bought dollars and we invested, we we bought shares from a fund that we launched in the Cayman Islands, which would be the master fund. This is this was like very new. The CVM in January asked us to explain the product, and we went to Rio de Janeiro, where the the, the local branch is, and we were very impressed by how much we spoke to Daniel Maeda, which co continues to be the director of this, the fund segment in, in CVM. And I was very pleased that he really knew a, a lot about crypto assets, blockchain and things like that. And since that time, it was clear that uh, the, the local, the, the public entities in Brazil were not against crypto, which I think is is kind of unique, or at least it's very different from what we hear from the U.S. regulators. And but that, that they didn't change anything until beginning of last month. So they didn't add one line of regulation for the crypto funds. We just used what they had, and it's kind of an indirect investment until the 175. What changed in this? Let's go into the why, what changed. Basically everything. I think the main change is that they recognize crypto as something different. So the new regulation, the 175 is a, there are a lot of things. I'm just going to focus on crypto and why it's important what they did. They basically said, so the first major topic is that they recognize that crypto as something different. And they said that everybody, any mutual fund or could invest in crypto assets up to 10%. So that means that with the new regulation, a hedge fund in Brazil, and there are some hedge funds that are 20, there are some hedge funds that are $10 billion of size. With, there are, there are some big hedge funds. They now can invest up to 10% of their assets in directly in crypto assets. So they can basically open an account at Coinbase and buy whatever they want. And no questions asked for the from the CVM. In this is like major improvement on the on the previous regulation. And it opens the market for all funds in Brazil. And not only that, they said that if a local fund wants to buy ETFs, basically a, a Bitcoin ETF is for them is similar to uh, S&P ETF. Hmm. And they could buy up to 100% of the fund. So the local market is completely open for crypto investment or buy hedge funds. And this is like, we know that 
the reg with the regulation in place, the guys are going to try to to buy some. I think we are very very close to the industry, and there are some big players that we know liked the asset class. And so, just just to sort of make sure we're understanding everything properly here, like before CVM one seven five, like if if a hedge fund in Brazil wanted to go wanted to invest in crypto, uh, wanted exposure to crypto assets. They would have had to do this kind of complicated procedure where they're going overseas and they're investing, you know, in a Cayman Islands fund up to, you know, 10, 20 or, or like 20 or 40 or 100 percent, you know, up to those limits based on like what the makeup of their fund is or their 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 customers, their their LPs. Um, whereas now they can they can basically they don't have to go through this kind of uh, this sort of bizarre structure of having to go to, you know, Cayman Islands or someplace to to, to set up a fund. Um, or I guess I, I'm not sure I'm like quite understanding like the difference yes, here. Yes, like, am yes, I, am no. I, no, yes and no. Uh, basically you are correct in the terms of the structure. The problem that they had before 175 is that to be able to suppose you are a hedge fund that you have $1 million and you want to buy crypto, you, you could buy indirectly, but in order to do that, your fund administration administrator would need you to rewrite your bylaws and explicit put there the, the, the clause that you could buy up to X percent of your fund in crypto. And you would have to go probably into a voting to see if your clients would allow that. And most fund administrators wouldn't even allow that. Hmm. Why? Because they were not comfortable with the asset class and they were not obliged to accept a fund. Because in Brazil, it's very different from elsewhere. The fund administrator is was legally responsible for the fund, not the manager. So what you're saying is that technically, they could do that, but they would never do it because it was such a big problem that they wouldn't even try. With the new re regulation, if you want to buy up to 3% of the fund, you don't need to even change your bylaws. So if the guy wants to buy 3% in Bitcoin, you don't need even to change the bylaws. And the administrators now, I, I think that only... a a very few of them are able to handle the management of Bitcoin. So it, it will still need some time for them to adjust because they are the ones that uh, run the portfolio. So got it. Now they are obliged to have a system that can handle Bitcoin. And for an industry, for an industry to, to work, or, uh, you need to have the proper systems. Otherwise, the, the admin is not even going to allow you to to buy the product. Got it. Got it. So so before okay, so th that that's a helpful uh, explanation there. So before it was well, it was technically possible to have access to these assets. It's you, you basically had to like set up a brand new fund and like build all that into like the buy like kind of what you guys did right, where you established a fund that was just specifically focused on crypto. It's into the bylaws. It's in everything. But to take an existing fund and try to pivot it. And to be like, hey, we're going to invest in crypto through this vehicle. 
the, the amount of work you'd have to go through to, to do that is was just so immense that it was not worth the time or the trouble essentially. But now with this new, under this new structure uh, that, you know, it's, it's basically easier for existing funds to pivot into allocating into crypto assets uh, under this new structure. They don't have to go and basically rewrite their entire bylaws and have, you know, a voting process and then, you know, find, you know, you know, then the administrator, you don't have to worry about the administrators blocking them uh, or for whatever reason. So is that, that's basically like the key difference here is that the barrier to entry is, is just dramatically reduced now for, for funds in Brazil looking to enter uh, or looking for exposure to crypto assets. Exactly. Let me draw an analogy. It was similar to running a marathon and now it's running a 5k. Is it easy to run a 5k? No, but it's feasible to run a marathon. Either you prepare yourself very well or it's, it's, it's hard. So it's not like hundred percent easy, but it's, it's much, much simpler than it used to be. And I think it's, it's fair. I think uh, you, you need to be prepared to enter the space. Otherwise it's, it's not fair for your clients. It's not an easy space to be involved in. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so then practically, I know that, um, you know, according to the, to, to the rule 175, uh, funds will be able to, uh, negotiate crypto from like, you know, agents from institutions that are, are, have a license from the central bank or that are, th there's like a clause where they can purchase crypto from international exchanges that I'm not sure what the exact requirement is, but basically something that's, that's like regulated internationally or has sufficient liquidity. And I guess my question would be like, how many institutions are there out there that, that would actually meet these requirements that are laid out? Like how many of these institutions that either have a license with the central bank or internationally that have enough liquidity to meet the the requirements that that are laid out in this in this resolution the big ones and i think it's fair uh i mean we have so many exchanges in the world i need the i think that is good for the client that the the fund that the mean is going to use one of the big ones like we do we only trade with five venues in the world and the criteria that we use is it needs to be a place where you have a strong regulator it needs to have liquidity and it needs to be to pass our due diligence so i think this is very fair this is what is expected by the the cvm and i think it's fair got it got it and then i know some of the local exchanges have been you know kind of pivoting into this as well with the expectation you know they've known this is coming for some time so like mercado bitcoin has I mean, they do have a license from the central bank, so they've kind of pivoted into being like, "Hey, we're you know they're pivoting away from retail and more towards some of this institutional uh, uh, clientele." I believe Foxbit too. I'm not entirely sure, but I know some of these local guys have been kind of pivoting. Um, and, and I guess you know maybe there's kind of a broader question here about how does this Im this this rule change impact just the broader uh, you know industry across of all these different service providers. Uh, in the crypto, you know, servicing the crypto industry in some capacity or or some of these folks that have been maybe adjacent to crypto for some time. Like, how does this affect maybe um, banks who might might have new custody demands or might have new clients interested in custodying assets, custodying crypto assets? Uh, like, who are like, who are some of the, 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 the stakeholders in the market that are going to uh, be impacted by this in some capacity, aside from just funds and investors who who, who are now able to access 
uh, crypto more easily? Basically, the landscape is going to change a lot on the next year. And we know that because we are in close contact with a lot of big players. And it's amazing. Some of the big local banks are trying to understand and enter the space. We know that Mercado Bitcoin has already a, a desk involved on, the, on, on exactly on that product. I spoke with Coinbase, both in Brazil and abroad. They are looking into it, but Coinbase is such a big elephant that I don't know if they are. They have the, the willingness to enter Brazil. And I, I think Brazil is very well positioned to be uh, a space where they will test the product. What, what's the product? To sell crypto assets directly to hedge funds. That's the product. In the US, maybe you guys will have uh, DTFs in 2024, maybe not. In Brazil, they are, they are able to buy directly. It's a, it's a huge advantage for us. So even, even though, so maybe a clarifying question here. So even though um, there are, you know, there's something like 12 or 13 crypto ETFs trading on the B3 currently, uh, a fund could not invest in previously and a fund could not invest in like, you know, the hash 11 ETF or one of these Bitcoin ETFs, like they would have had to, they would have still had to go through this whole kind of offshore route, essentially. They, they could, but I think the local market doesn't have the size that they need. I think it's a problem of size. So imagine the guy that runs a $2 billion hedge fund. He wants to buy 1% of the position in, in Bitcoin. It's a big position for local markets. And I, I don't think they can they could handle. So it's a, a question. Uh, I really won't enter a position that they can't get out, get rid of the positions fast. That's, I suppose that. And the local ETFs, they don't have, they don't offer that kind of liquidity. Got it. Got it. Okay. So they, so it was theoretically possible for a fund to do that, but the liquidity, like it's just, it's not, there's not a deep enough liquidity there for them to, to, to do that responsibly, essentially. And we go back to those, the, the last problem that they were, they, they were not comfortable in putting crypto inside the fund because the admin was not comfortable because the regulation was not in place. So, I mean, if, even though they wanted, they wouldn't be able to do it. Got it. Got not it. Got it. Got it. Okay. Okay. And then on the, uh, I mean, just kind of thinking through some other practical uh, effects or impacts of this resolution here. Uh, now that funds are able to invest up to 10%, uh, I'm assuming that most most of these funds are not going to just be rushing out and, you know, buying 10%, allocating 10% into Bitcoin, you know, tomorrow, right? Like this is going to be a, kind of a, a gradual thing. Uh, is there any... I understand that. I understand that the, the the resolution is being like implemented. There's it's it's being kind of phased in gradually as well. So I'm wondering if there's like a timeline for like when you would expect this to really kind of kick into full force. Like when do, when can we expect the impacts of this to be like really like pronounced or really really uh, like really understood? So I'm going to answer this question on a very different way. Uh, I think before 175 they had the excuse not to buy crypto because this is what i used to do so basically i had had one manager the mandate is to make money you don't need to you don't have to be you are, you're not obliged to make money on an x market or a z market you need you know, your mandate is to make money wherever the opportunities are and it's clear 
that Bitcoin was the best trade on the last five years, 10 years. And they were not involved in the best trade in the last decade, which for me makes sense because they didn't need to. No one was involved. But after 2021, I think, some of the good guys in the U.S. started to invest in crypto. So one Paul Tudor Jones said, defended Bitcoin. For me, that was a huge turning point because that that's one of the best funders in the world. If he's saying that Bitcoin is an interesting investment, I think everybody needs to hear. They, of course, they knew. We told them that. We showed them. But it was very hard for them to invest properly. Some of them invested in our fund on the personal account. So we know that the guy that runs a $10 billion, a $20 billion mammoth likes crypto because he's one of our clients, but he would never touch it with the fund. Mm. Probably they will. And when is a good question. And the market is going to, to tell them when. Because imagine that we have a the bull run that we, we think will happen in 2020. 24. So we let's move to January 25. A guy that bought crypto in his fund is doing is making like 17%, 20%, and the other one making 11, 12. Because he didn't touch. What do you think is going to happen? Of course, the clients are going to flow, the money is going to flow from one to the other, because at the end of the day, it's a very competitive industry. So there are no excuses left. They will either need to focus on crypto because it, it, 2024 is going to be a very hard market to beat. So imagine that you want to build a portfolio for next year. S&P, super expensive. Uh, treasuries are all over the place. And everybody in crypto is saying, listen, look at us. It's going to be a nice year. And we've been, at the end of the day, we've been right for the last five years. So what what strikes me as very strange is that everybody looks into crypto as it's a gamble. I mean, I know it's 80% volatility. It's not easy. But on the last five years, the fund is, our fund is uh, 600% up. So I think the risk, I think, was really well paid. And for sure, they know that. The ones that are doing their homework, they know that. And going back to your question, I think they will be forced into the market. As simple as that. So customers are basically, or investors are going to be basically be, you know, demanding that, like they're going to have, the funds are going to have to be responsive to the, the concerns of the investor and to the wishes of the investor, essentially. And the, the funds that are maybe that still play this game of being reluctant, uh, the investors are just going to move to funds that are more open to these types of assets, essentially, is what you're Afterward, ultimately saying. Afterwards, the investor doesn't know. What the investor knows is that at the end of next year, if we are correct and someone makes a kill trading Bitcoin on a hedge fund, that guy will be receiving a lot of money. And the ones that are not touching because there's some guys in the industry in brazil 
that they think Bitcoin is like. They still think it's a bubble. There are some guys that like, but there are some guys that still think there's a bubble. So imagine that conversation late. Imagine this, that conversation now. Imagine, mm -hmm. uh, imagine a panel with me and a guy that thinks Bitcoin is a bubble. I would say, listen, the fund is up this year. The fund is up 105 percent. Right, and we're this is supposedly a bear market, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, the numbers are like my father used to say: uh, you can't argue against the numbers. The numbers are there. If your job is to make money for your clients, I mean, I didn't mind. So I, I think at the end of the day, this is a very competitive industry, and the guys that the head fund managers they are smart people. So yeah. if we are right, I mean, everything that is based that. We are right, and crypto is such an incredible asset class. We've been right for the last 10 years. It doesn't mean that we're going to be right on the next 10, but it should. For, for us, that we have been here for this last seven years, what I can tell you is that I never, I never expected to have in the pipeline 12 ETFs and three of them, like Fidelity, BlackRock, and I, I would never expect that. The names that we were expecting was Solid X, Gemini. Mm -hmm. But it's, much, it's it's moving much faster than we anticipated. And, and on that subject, and not, not to turn this into a, a U.S. Bitcoin ETF conversation, because I think there's enough of those happening elsewhere. But how much could a like a, an approval of a U.S. Bitcoin ETF uh, add additional uh, stimulus, perhaps, to fund managers in Brazil? Right. Obviously, there's ETFs already trading in Brazil, they're listed, but the 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 approval of one in the U.S. obviously gives like an extra kind of aura of legitimacy uh, to this whole industry and this asset class. Is that something that you think uh, Brazilian like fund managers are going to be paying attention to and watching closely? I don't think it's the the, the public is not the fund managers. The huge difference, in my opinion, is that once you have a, a, a let's say BlackRock approves an ETF. So all uh, investment managers in the U.S. will have access to the product. But the important thing is they will be able to buy it. Because I, the problem with crypto now is that someone that likes it and trades or invests money professionally, they can't touch it. Because the the legal problem and the, the, the problem to create something that nobody else is doing and it doesn't have the, the proper stamps is too big of a problem for them. So basically, once you have the BlackRock stamp on the product, it, it's a diff completely different ballgame because everybody would be able to touch it. I'll give an example, which is very funny. We, in 2018, we were pitching the fund for a billionaire in Brazil. And on the one day before, the Brazilian Central Bank said that Bitcoin was a pyramid. <laughs> he said that. Elon Goldfarb. And I know that Elon is a genius. Like he's one of the best economists in the world, or at least in Brazil. And the guy, he asked me, he said, listen, you're trying to make me buy this. And Elon, who used to work with me, said that it's a pyramid. Then I, what's your take on that? I said, I, I said, listen, 
which William, which Elon, which hat, the central bank president hat or the economist hat? If it's the central bank president's hat, which I think is the case, he's completely correct. The central bank is the one that sells currency. In his case, the Brazilian real, in the US case, is the dollar. So that guy is exactly the one that needs to tell that Bitcoin is a pyramid because this is the toughest competition that he will face in the next 50 years. <laughs> I convinced the guy he invested with us, but <laughs> this was the scenario. I mean, the one that the guys that invested with us in 17, 18, they were kind of, I think, very, it was very difficult. It's, a very, it's still a very difficult pitch. Once you have the stamps, and the last very important piece is that once they have the product, I mean, we know how, it, how Wall Street works or a, any industry works. Once you have the product, you start to sell it. Marketing and producing stories. And then the narrative evolves from a pyramid to a very good investment. So, I mean, I, I said a lot, but the main thing is not only the stamp, but the, the tranquility to be buying something that Wall Street is selling is very, very important for all investors. And this is from the guys that come from crypto, they can't understand that because they can't understand the size of the, the, the big markets. Yeah. Because Bitcoin is like, it's not even one trillion. Yeah. It's still a tiny asset. Even yeah. if you, if you take the entire market cap of, of, of like all current cryptocurrencies combined, it's still a drop in the bucket, right. Compared to the whole global asset market. Right. Um, so it, going back to, to, to the, to the resolution here, uh, to the C resolution 175, and I know you've spent, you know, a decent amount of time around, you know, with the, with the folks at the CVM over the years, and you have a relatively good sort of understanding of how they're approaching uh, these types of questions. And um, I mean, what do you see as like their motivation for for doing this? Like why? I mean, we're seeing we're seeing them take a basically a completely opposite uh, approach here than what we're seeing uh, other securities regulators take uh, around the world. So like, like, why are they? choosing to to make this definition like this you know this definition of crypto assets and this and also kind of liberating some of the rules around funds investing in crypto assets like why are they why are they doing this what's their motivation here why are they different is the question uh, i think you, you to answer that question you need to understand that every country has its strengths and weaknesses uh the brazil doesn't have a very good currency uh, on the last 50 years, we had eight different currencies. The Brazilian real is currently the longest one, and it's more than 25 years old. So it's, it's relatively stable, but we are trained at five. When it launched, it was one. So this is why it's relatively stable. Uh, it means that it's very, and we don't have an open uh, capital account, which means that the, our currency is not fully convertible. Well, fully convertible, like the dollars are fully, fully convertible currency. You can exchange dollars by pretty much everything without asking for permission. 
in Brazil to exchange reals for dollars, you need to ask permission for the central bank. And it's done via a foreign exchange contract. This is how the system works. So the currency, uh, and the reason for that is because in 1987, the, the country didn't have enough dollars. So the whole system was designed to capture and control the dollars that are inside the country. This is the backdrop. So with the last years, the central bank and the country changed a lot of mentality and understood that it needs to be to open more the economy. And this is why uh, they kind of are developing the tracks, which is the real, the central bank digital currency. Uh, they are they, the central Brazilian central bank is going to launch the the digital real next year. So why are they doing that? My guess is that since we have one of the highest interest rates in the world, one thing that crypto assets allow you is to capture offshore markets very easily. So imagine well, the, that in next year we will have a treasury bond that you could sell it through Uniswap. So anyone in any place would be able to change Ethereum by for a treasury bond from Brazil. And for the country, it, it, if they are able to implement that, at the end of the day, they will reach a 7 billion people market. And we pay like, we pay 12% for five years, real plus 12. So I think what what will happen is that we will be able to work with lower interest rates because the risk of uh, renewing your debt will be much smaller. And the United States is exactly on the opposite place because the treasury bond, like the U.S. is facing uh, increase in the the cost of of rolling the debt, mm-hmm. sharp increase. Real interest rates are increasing a lot, so this is why from triple A they are you guys are uh, uh, the ratings are going down, and I'm not sure if you know the ne- on the next twelve months the U.S. will need to roll one third of the debt, and they will roll probably is that much five. really. Yeah, it's one- amazing. Oh my, okay. <laughs> if it's not if it's not one year, it's one year and two, but it's like massive. Wow. Uh, it's massive. It's massive. And the problem there is that once you need to do the auctions, then it's the proof is in the pudding. So the last auctions that the 30 year auctions that they, they tried, they were all oh, the last two were awful. So, and the US, why is in the opposite direction? Because since you guys, have been selling treasures for the world forever. You don't have more clients at the end of the day. Right. So for us to have more clients is very important. For you guys, it's you don't need that because you had a right. So for you guys, if Brazil tried to enter the space of public debt globally, it's not good. I mean, the size are completely different, but. In the sense that there's more competition, like 
there, there's more competition, like the client, the U.S. client base of people who are buying government debt at these auctions. They have all of a sudden they have more options that they can choose from aside from just standard U.S. treasuries. Is that what you're saying? Like they'll Not have more, they'll have more. The American, but the American have been selling treasury bonds for every for everybody. I think China was a huge holder. Uh, Japan is still a huge holder. Russia. Mm-hmm. I mean, what what <laughs> happened with Russia? And why this is important? Because at the end, uh, before crypto, this talk that we are like this possibility wouldn't exist. So it's uh, what crypto allows. It allows a country like Brazil to assess easily the global markets, which well, in the past it would be it, it was a nightmare so in brazil in 97 and 98 who had the debt crisis basically because we were unable to roll our external debt so it's like well, 98 it's not that it's something on the early 20th century this is like i was <laughs> i saw yeah. that yeah I right. we were all alive right <laughs> it, it, it was a nightmare so the, the global markets close to brazil so I think this is, and the guys that are at the central bank, the old guys, they they were alive there and they saw it. So for for Brazil, crypto is a huge opportunity. And I think, especially Roberto Campos, the central bank president, he knows that by heart. He was trading Brady's when we were trading Brady's in 97. So he knows by heart that. And and then so you're saying that this this mentality is really uh, behind a lot of the CVM's decision making and their approach to this asset class as well, where they're they're viewing this as like this isn't necessarily this adversarial thing that has to be crushed, but this is a tool that will allow uh, you know our 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 our, our consumers our, our you know our our you know our citizens our residents here to be able to access new opportunities. Oh, you still there? I think that might have been me. I think my my internet sort of went out there for a second. Um, anyway, I'm gonna start that. I'm gonna start that section over. Um, so I don't know what happened there. But basically, so you're saying that with this that this this mentality and all this kind of backdrop and this history that you've just been explaining is really what's driving the CVM's thinking on uh, and their approach to these assets, right? And they're not looking this at this as something that's adversarial and that that needs to be crushed or it's this thing that that's just sort of a nuisance but they're looking this at these technologies in this asset class as uh as something that can provide like real value in the immediate term and and in the longer term to the the brazilian financial uh, financial system essentially is that is that a good way of kind of summing up what you're what you're trying to actually actually it's exactly the opposite and this is very interesting because oh yeah (laughs) Yeah, no, the opposite, the, the, the way... Okay. Maybe, I, maybe you I'm misunderstanding. Yeah. No, no, the conclusion is perfect. But the way oh, okay. you arrive at the conclusion is exactly the opposite. And I'll explain you what, why I think it's exactly okay. the opposite. Okay, okay. The I, I, I think it's very hard to argue that crypto assets are not going to help the economy. A faster currency is better for the economy. Uh, a means of exchange that is faster and more reliable is better for the economy. Something like Uniswap 
where you can exchange an asset for another asset, delivery against delivery, without risk, without a central uh, a, a central exchange, and without a lot of costs, is something that is very useful for for economy. The problem that exists in the mentality of the American regulation, American regulator, is that you guys had already the good currency and 80% or 70% of the world trade is done in dollars. So the American correctly doesn't want and doesn't need competition. If if I held 70% of the market, I, the, the one thing that I wouldn't like is competition. The other countries, they would love to be competing, the, to, to have the opportunity to compete with the dollar. And Brazil is a big country. And I think the, the, the local financial markets are very well established. And since, like our payment system, I think is among one of the best in the world because since we had inflation, such a high inflation, in, I'll give the number, in 1994, we used to write the checks and they will, they will be live in your account on the next day. Because every day was around 1.5% inflation. So at that time, we had a very, very efficient uh, compensation mechanism in the, in, in the banks. Nowadays, we have the PICS, which is a, a system that they did 140 million transactions a day, transactions a day, and it's instant transfer. So what I say is that we, all, we have been very good in technology, especially in the financial markets, for 30 years, 40 years. Uh, in Brazil, when they, we do our uh, tax, uh, the, the IRS, the, we, we do everything electronically since uh, I think for 15 years now. And I mean, 95% or 98% of the people are doing the taxes returns electronically. So we are really into uh, FinTech. We are really strong on that. So this is why I think the regulator is, much, uh, the regulator is been doing that forever. Like, Local, the Brazilian regulator has been involved in tech uh, regulation forever. So they know what they're doing. Remember when I said, when I mentioned that Maeda knew a lot about, we are, saying, we are talking like early 18. He knew about blockchain. He knew about Bitcoin. Because probably in 15, 16, he started to study because he was already, they are, they probably they were already studying other paying mechanisms. So this is why hmm. I think this answers why Brazil. Got it. Got it. No, that's super helpful. Um, and I think, and I, I, I think everything you said there is like pretty well backed up, right? That, that there is this emergent, like Brazil and Latin America more broadly, but I think Brazil in particular is really just this kind of hotbed of financial technology, technology innovation. Um, and the regulators do sort of correctly understand that this is like a key competitive advantage. And, uh, at the end of the day, like everyone's looking for a way to compete with the U.S. dollar, uh, and not, you know, and and in the U.S., like you're looking for ways to sort of 
you know, minimize <laughs> competition, right? So like, why would you embrace something that's going to be uh, inherently competing against uh, with with your your sort of uh, you know your your crown jewel, right? If you're of the U.S. dollar in the global financial system, so that makes a lot of sense. Um, and I guess I don't really have any other questions lined up for you here, but maybe I'll just ask you know just some final thoughts on you know going back to just the resolution 175. Like, what can we kind of expect over the next like three, six, twelve months as far as this this being rolled out, like? You know, as far as anything, as far as how much how much inflows do we should we maybe expecting as a result of this? Um, is, is this going to induce, you know, new perhaps like new service providers to enter into this market? Is this going to be, you know, how how is the market overall just going to change as a result of this? And I know we kind of talked about this a little bit earlier, but maybe if you have any other thoughts or any other uh, points you want to expand on on this front, I think that'd be really interesting to a really interesting point to conclude on here. I'll give you the roadmap. So basically, the next steps, all administrators, administrators would need to be able to handle Bitcoin on, on their systems. And that should take another two months, probably early 2024. Uh, the big five will be able to do that. And once they are able to do that, the... When you say, sorry, when you say big five, who are you referring to? The, the big admins. I don't want to mention names because... I can be wrong, but there are like the, the big banks and they they kind of uh, are the most important on, on this business, which is custody and admin, fund admin. And so what we should expect among the, I, I would say that among the top, the big three banks in Brazil, probably one will be offering that product. Mm. Meaning, uh, what a, what is normally a, a bank treasury does? Someone wants to buy a zillion treasury bonds, they sell it. So I think early next, uh, I, on the first semester of 2000, or next year, probably one or two of the big banks will be able to quote $50 million Bitcoin for a hedge fund and that that's very important because the hedge funds they it, for them to open an account with coinbase it, it's out of the box or out of the normal process for them for them to quote a big bank low oh, give me like what, what's your price for 50 million dollars bitcoin that's what they do they are used to it so that's the infrastructure that there will be in place and the last part of the question is, what will they do with the infrastructure? And then uh, I come out, uh, my answer is, there's one thing called reflexivity, which is a concept coined by Soros, which simplistically says that price makes the positions. So what I said before, if I had fund manager see Bitcoin going up from 35 to 50, it doesn't do anything. I don't think he's, he's doing his job well. In the past, I would say, I would say he, he, we won't be able to do it. So I think it's fair. If you're not able to buy, I don't think you, you need to participate. But Resolution 175 changed that excuse. And imagine 
So I'll give you a scenario because this is the only thing that we can do. Uh, imagine Bitcoin reaching $100,000 and your hedge fund manager saying that it's a bubble. Uh, I don't think that guy is going to be... Uh, he, he won't have an easy life because you know that Bitcoiners can be picky and they will kill the guy. So uh, this is the future. I mean, <laughs> what is missing in terms of infrastructure? Not a lot in Brazil. Basically, in two months, we'll have the full spectrum in place. And the last thing that I would say is, listen, and this is super easy. If you have 11 houses in the US trying to launch a Bitcoin ETF and you don't think this is a good product, maybe you are in the wrong business, my friend. <laughs> no, I mean, it, it's well, this is it, it's like you have the barbarians at the gate and you say, no, no, we are safe here. No, the barbarians are at the gate. So what else do you need? I yeah, mean, like, well, one more confirmation. Cool. You, you need like yeah. the, you know, the audible like voice of God or something to come out of heaven to you know like, to come down from the sky to tell you that. <laughs> exactly because I mean, I kind of am very bullish on the space forever, but this is this is solid information. This is not something. I, I, it's not as speculation. We know that there are eleven houses that want to sell the product. I'll give you another number just to finish. So they always compare Bitcoin ETF to gold ETF. So basically gold ETF, if you go back, when they launched the ETF, gold started to increase in prices. Uh, today, the gold ETFs, they respond for 1% of gold's market cap. Today, Bitcoin ETFs respond for 4% of Bitcoin market cap, and we don't have ETF in the US. Mm. So, like, this is the number. What I'm saying is that uh, I kind of joke Bitcoin was born for ETF, and ITF was born for Bitcoin. The final, final information I'll give you guys is that uh, the largest ETF in Brazil is someone that something that mimics the stock market, it's Zibo Vespa, something like the SP. The second largest is a crypto hedge fund, a crypto ETF that was launched, I think, two years ago. Yeah, it's the, the hash 11, right? From hashtags. So, what else do you want? Like, they have this is the second largest, and the market cap even doesn't account to more than two trillions. So, all the signs are there. Ah, we can be wrong. Of course, we can be wrong. But if we're wrong, we are going to be wrong with BlackRock. I would love to be wrong with BlackRock. I wouldn't like to be on his on the opposite side of that. <laughs> they say they, they always say the the problem is to be wrong alone, and this was the problem that we were facing when we launched the fund. So I'll find I'll end the interview with that. When we launched the fund, the problem is that if if we were wrong, we would be wrong alone. We were the we were the first fund in Brazil. Now, if we are wrong. With BlackRock, I mean, it's good company, not... right? It's good company. You yeah, you, you can a... you can call up uh, Larry and be like, "Hey, man, we we just we swung and missed." We we'll mess it up. We we'll mess it. Up. <laughs>
Well, anyway, this is a really great uh, interview, Alexandre. Really appreciate your insights here. Uh, great color, and just love love diving into how you're thinking about all this, and also uh, just your your familiarity with this whole the Brazilian sort of uh, you know fund structure and some of the rules governing some of these things, and 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 how things are going to be changing here. Super helpful uh, to get your vantage point on this. Um, and I guess I'll leave any, any like final thoughts to you, anything else you wanted to mention, and then how can folks, uh, get in touch with you or BLP crypto if they want to reach out and learn more. Well, we, we have a side first. Thank you for having me. I think it's, it's very interesting to talk to a different, uh, audience. I think, uh, a lot of that we see here in Brazil, uh, Brazil was, we were trading international markets since 95. So it's similar to everywhere. And crypto is much more developed here. Like the financial products in crypto. Our fund, we have a daily NAV. So basically you can buy or sell it on a daily basis, which is unheard offshore. And this is like typical product in Brazil. We have ETFs. So we have all, we have all products in Brazil. And it's very interesting because uh, we think that the CVM allowed that. So at the end of the day, the CVM really worked well for the market because the products are doing really well. So like I mentioned, our fund is up on the last five years. I think it's up 600%. So the client's happy also. Our clients are making money. And this is the important thing. The CVM is there to make sure that we offer safe products. And you guys can rely on the products that we offer in Brazil. You can study that. We have a blpcrypto.com.br. And we our contacts are there. And also at LinkedIn, I'm always trying to share thoughts on LinkedIn. I think it's a very good platform to, to interact. But thank you again for the space and for hearing our side of the story. Yeah, amazing. No, this is great. Really great interview. Uh, and this is really a fascinating area uh, for me I, as as someone who's not doesn't come from like a TradFi, you know, investment background necessarily. Uh, this is this is definitely something I like learning more about. And I know this is going to have a big impact on the Brazilian ecosystem. So uh, I'm, I'm glad to be able to do some more content on this and help explain this to folks better. So I uh, really appreciate you coming on, taking your time to to help us understand this more. So um with that, Alexandre, uh, really appreciate your time. And thanks, everyone, for listening. And we'll be back soon with another awesome episode. Thank you for the presence. And thank you, guys. If you listen up to here, congratulations. See you next time. <laughs>